6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 33 through 36. Jeremiah, I don't need to reintroduce the book. One of the major prophets of the Old Testament, not just because he's classified among the five major prophets, but of prophetical books, but uh, because he is one of the spiritual highs in the Old in the Old Testament. And uh, we're, we uh, we are at chapter thirty-three. We took a verse or two last time, but that was just sort of a teaser. We'll get into chapter thirty-three tonight, which concludes a three-chapter division of the book, sometimes called the Book of Consolation. And uh, so chapter 33 fits with 31 and 32 as a special message to console them. It's a special unit uh, in the minds of most of the scholars. Chapter 33, verse 1, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying... Now you recall he was in the court of the prison. Zedekiah was... Um, facing the Babylonian siege. Uh, not Zedekiah so much. Uh, we're going to discover in the subsequent chapters too. Zedekiah is sort of a double-minded man. And uh, Scripture tells us that, that he's unstable in all his ways. Thus. But he sort of likes Jeremiah, but his court uh, advisors are very anti-Jeremiah for lots of reasons. Jeremiah's message is pro-Babylon in the sense that he points out that God has raised up the Babylonians to be his instrument of judgment and that they will prevail. Most of Zedekiah's advisors were pro-Egypt, and they keep intriguing in the hopes that Egypt will be a, a strong enough ally to somehow fend off the Babylonians. And Jeremiah predicts that that isn't going to work, and of course he's right. But uh, So from time to time he's uh, attacked by the court leadership, and Zedekiah occasionally will protect him, sometimes seek his counsel, and other times, in this case, put him in prison. Now, it's, it's, he's in the court of the prison, which implies that he's technically under house arrest, but he, at the same time, he's not in a dungeon or something. At this particular time, he's, he's in just in some kind of confinement. But in any case, God comes, the word of the Lord comes to him while he's yet uh, shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker of it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. And then we have verse 3, which I commended to you last time as a potential uh, a candidate for your Bible memory list, if you keep such a thing, and I encourage you to do that many, many times. If you've hidden the Word of the Lord in your heart, uh, no one can take that away from you, and it'll avail itself to you at times when you don't have time to dig up your book or dig out a concordance. So those of you that have a leaning towards uh, Scripture memory, I encourage you to include Jeremiah 33.3. Those of you that don't do that, I encourage you to give it a try. And uh, because uh, Jeremiah, I guess, says, Thy words are found and I did eat them, right? And uh, actually, uh, many of the verses that I find uh, are treasured the most, I didn't really understand until after I had memorized them. Certain prophecies, particularly, that I was intrigued with, committed them to memory, 
just as a little, I was on a kick in those days. And as I did that, I discovered, as I really thought about it, it said something quite different than I first had perceived. In any case, Jeremiah 33.3 is just one of those neat promises. It's fun to catalog and index and absorb um, God's promises. It makes all kinds of promises. We're going to talk about a very special kind of promise later tonight, a covenant. How many of you have been in the service? You ever hear you having uh, get your uh, cut new orders? You heard that expression? Get my orders cut. Do you know why it's called cut? No, no, do you? I used to think it was because of mimeograph uh, stencil. That's not it at all. I used to think that was one of you, you like you know they sometimes said you cut a stencil and you you make fifty copies and you use them for as authorities in various preparations. You're going to discover uh, possibly that that goes back to uh, Genesis 15. We'll come to that later tonight. I just tease you with that. So you won't leave before we get to, okay. Uh, Genesis, uh, correction, Jeremiah 33, 3. Great promise. Call unto me and I will answer thee, comma. Now that's enough. What a neat promise. You call upon the Lord and he promises to answer you. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I love that verse. I um, committed that to my little list of things years ago. And I've discovered, too, in my life, I've had a very adventurous life. God has blessed me with the most incredible adventures. And I've done almost everything you can imagine to do. But the greatest excitement I've had, of, of all the things that have bring, brought me joy and excitement, I think the joy of discovery is the greatest of those. To uncover something some treasure unexpected is the most fun thing I've done. And none are greater than discovering something the Lord just has specially for you, tucked away in a scripture, and he brings it out with a totally unanticipated result. Very, a, lot, a lot of fun. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Now, he doesn't give you the kind of discoveries I've given you that are trivial and incidental, okay? He gives you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Verse 4, For thus saith the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of the city, and concerning the houses of the kings of Judah, which are thrown down by the siege mounds and by the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but it is to fill them with the dead bodies of men, whom I have slain in mine anger and my fury, and because of all whose wickedness I have hidden my of all whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Behold, I'll bring it health and cure, and will cure them, and will reveal unto them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return, and will build them as at the first. Interesting thing here, he has a promise of returning, not just Judah. Now, Judah is about to be enslaved and taken captive. But um, when he says, I'm going to uh, uh, cause the captivity re to return, that is, he's going to undo it. He also speaks of the captivity of Israel. That's something that we easily lose sight of. You'll hear all kinds of things about the ten lost tribes of Israel. There's nothing lost about them at all. God knows where they are. Um, Israel, then here it's used denotatively as the northern kingdom, Judah being the southern kingdom after the, the division of the nation Israel. In the, in the days of Jeroboam and Rehoboam. 
The northern kingdoms, uh, denotatively called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. Because the northern kingdom was consisting essentially of ten tribal areas, you'll hear them spoken of as the ten tribes. And the Judah and, and Simeon, actually in part of Benjamin, are the southern kingdom of Judah. And you hear that you think of twelve tribes, two in the south and ten in the north, that that's a very naive uh, notion. Because first of all, there's 13 tribes, not 12. Remember Levi. But also, as the northern kingdom went into idolatry, the faithful of the northern kingdom migrated south. And um, ultimately, because the northern kingdom did not repent of its idolatry, it was taken enslaved by Assyria some hundred years prior to the writing of Jeremiah. Now, the Assyrians were subsequently conquered by the Babylonians. When the Babylonians uh, conquered the, the holdings of, the Assyri of Assyria, they inherited, obviously, their captives. And when uh, Babylon ultimately uh, prevails over the southern kingdom of Judah, which is not just two tribes, it's a mixture of some of the faithful from the northern tribes too, but when they finally um, uh, fail to repent as a nation, uh, a southern kingdom, then uh, the Babylonians take them in slavery, and they become uh, commingled with the slaves that are set by Nebuchadnezzar. So the, the concept of ten lost tribes is a little naive. But what's interesting here is we have the promise that both Judah and Israel will be uh, returned. Verse 8, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, and by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities in which they have sinned, and in which they have transgressed against me. That's a, prof you know, a, a prophecy yet future. And it shall come, and it shall be to me a name of joy, a, a praise, and an honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do unto them, and they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness that I have, uh, and, and for all of the prosperity that I procure unto it. This kind of message of encouragement right in the middle of all this judgment is one reason these three chapters are called the Book of Consolation. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a message of encouragement. Verse 10. Thus saith the Lord, again there shall be heard in this place, which ye say shall be desolate, without man and without beast, even in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of them who shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever, and of those who shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause to return the captive of the land as at the first, saith the Lord. Incidentally, this goes on, but just to incidentally mark, um, the uh, verse 11 is that apparently the closing part of a benediction that's used in Jewish marriages even today, I understand, from uh, authority. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again this place which is desolate, without man, without beast, and all its cities shall be inhabited, the habitation of shepherds, uh, causing their flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, and in the land of Benjamin, and in the, in the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, shall the flocks pass again uh, under the hands of him that uh, counteth them, saith the Lord. Kind of interesting, by the way, that he mentions Benjamin. Um, that might catch your eye, partly because of the incident we studied last time. Remember the property that was bought in Anathoth? Um, that was in the land of Benjamin. That's here singled out among the others to, to, to uh, made reference to. 
there's lots of 12 tribes, and obviously Judah and uh, the others are mentioned generically as the, as the house, but Benjamin is alluded there. It ties, ties it, if you will, to the earlier chapter, I think. Now, a small point, not a big deal, but the rest of this chapter happens not to appear in the Septuagint version. And so that causes all kinds of scholars to ponder it. Um, despite that, there still seems to be substantial authorities that believe it's valid, even though the Septuagint, for some reason, omits verses 14 to the end of the chapter. But uh, most of what's here is also found elsewhere, and it's also, uh, to, you know, uh, there's no reason really to disregard it. Um, I just mentioned that by way of completeness. But anyway, verse 14, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now, this may sound a lot, sound very familiar to you, not the least of which is it sounds like Isaiah. But one of the titles of Jesus Christ is the branch. In one rendering in the Hebrew, it's netzer, which on, upon which there is a pun built in the New Testament. The concept of the Nazarene and the concept of the branch, that is a netzer. It's not obvious in the English, but in the Hebrew there's a pun, and there's a constructive pun involved. But the branch of righteousness is a title of Jesus Christ who shall grow up unto David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness of the land. This is, verse 15, is basically a messianic uh, prophecy. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name by which the city that she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. Now here again is this strange phrase, Jehovah Tzitkanu. We encountered it before, if you recall, as a name by which the Lord will be called, and here again, the city is linked to the Lord by both being called by that name. That the, the name of the Lord, uh, his being it being tied to Jerusalem, occurs in Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. Uh, also, it's tied to his altar in Judges six twenty-four and uh, other places. There are examples of this. Oh, one other comment I was going to make. Um, it's um, I've when we were talking about style and so forth, I mentioned how Jeremiah is so picturesque. And uh, the verse 15 gave rise to a, an excursion here of at least uh, some number of pictures. How many pictures do you suppose you might find in Jeremiah? Seven. Yeah, very good. Good guess. That's good, right? There's a dice player there. Okay. Um, springing, spring of living water. We'll use that phrase, right? That's from Jeremiah. Good shepherd occurs many places. Jeremiah is a righteous branch we've just encountered. Uh, as the title of Jesus as the Redeemer occurs in Jeremiah chapter 50. Um, the Lord our righteousness occurred in chapter 23 earlier. Here again we find in chapter 33. Uh, David the king, a linking of that to, as a messianic title, is in chapter 30. We encountered that. And finally... Um, the agent of the new covenant we encountered in chapter 31. So there's seven uh, images or titles, if you will, of, of messianic uh, phrases that Jeremiah indulges in, for those of you that might find that interesting. Okay, verse 17, Thus saith the Lord David shall never lack a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. That's quite a statement. 
David shall never lack a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Well, we, we covered the whole curse on the, the blood curse on Jeconiah. And we went through all of that before. I won't recount that other than just to highlight it to you so you can go back in your notes or dig up the tape. But here's quite a thing. This says, the house of David will never lack a man to sit on the throne of David. Where is that man today? There's only one left. There's only one left, and he's at the throne of God today. Interesting thing. David's Zion still lives. Now, verse 18, Neither shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings. Well, that's a surprise. You may not realize that the Levitical priesthood is permanent. Now, we're, we're so um, intrigued in the, right, in the book of Hebrews how Jesus Christ is a priest after the Levitical priesthood. No, Melchizedek, good for you. Good for you. Big deal there, and it's, I won't rebuild all of that. I invite you to get the, Hebrews, the tapes on Hebrews if you want to get into that. But um, <clears throat> there was a promise to Phineas in uh, Numbers 25 that the Levitical priesthood would be forever. And so in our awareness of Jesus Christ as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, we may fail to recognize that the Levitical priesthood, which is a very Jewish thing, will endure uh, um, forever. And uh, the Levitical priesthood is permanent from that promise. There's a continuing covenant with Levi in Malachi 2.4 and also in Numbers 17. It's not a big deal, so we won't beat it to death, but at least to let you be aware of it that uh, Levi, the, uh, the Levitical priest, is not just a temporal thing in the sense of the law of Moses. It's there are promises to the house of Levi to endure. And here is another one in verse 18, that neither shall the priest, that is the Levites, lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to kindle meal offerings, and to do sacrifice continually. The word of the Lord came out of Jeremiah saying, Thus saith the Lord, if ye break my covenant of the day, and if ye can break my covenant of the night, and that there should be not day and night in their season. Then may also my covenant with, be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a man to reign upon his throne, and, uh, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. That's a long King James way of saying not to worry. Um, in other words, if you, can break, if you can stop nights and days, then, then indeed you can break the covenant he's made with David. That's just a way of saying you can't do it. Just a colorful, rabbinical, inverted line of reasoning way of expressing that thought, if I may put it that way. Verse 22, If the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister unto me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Considerest thou not what, that, what this people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, and they should no more... Uh, be no more a nation before them. Thus saith the Lord, if my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David, my servant, so that uh, I will not take any of his seed to be rulers of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. Okay, that so ends the section of those three chapters, chapters 31, 32, and 33, the so-called Book of Consolation, particularly this last chapter, a fairly straightforward um, passage of encouragement, quite a contrast to the gloom and doom kind of stuff that Jeremiah has been nailing them with in previous chapters, uh, the Book of Consolation. 
and so ends a major ch section. Now we're going to in enter into from chapter 34, well, 34 through 38 uh, is going to be um, five chapters that, that uh, essentially uh, cover Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's experiences during the siege of Jerusalem. It's going to be quite a lot of narrative. So it's going to change, more or less biographical, if you will. Chapter 39 will be the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. after a two-year siege. And then the chapters 40 through 44 will be the events after the fall. So we've got um, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, five chapters ahead of the fall, the fall, and then uh, five chapters after the fall as, as essentially historically, more or less historical passages that are in the next section. Now, incidentally, those of you that remember the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 and 4 particularly, you will be aware of the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's reign during that time was very, very widespread, not just a little local fertile crescent kind of thing. And this, this starts to also come in before us here in uh, chapter 34. Chapter 34, verse 1, the word of the Lord came at Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth and uh, of his, all the kingdoms of the earth of his dominion and all the peoples fought against Jerusalem and against its, all its cities, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Now, um, this is, uh, uh, there's not a lot of new information here. We're going to um, see the Lord now focus very specifically in, in uh, indicting, if you will, Zedekiah. Let's, uh, let's, but he's going to actually do better than his, the other kings that preceded him who were really in bad shape. Actually, he's, Zedekiah is going to do um, uh, not quite so badly. Verse 3. And thou shalt not escape out of his hand. That is out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now Jeremiah is taught, the Lord is telling Jeremiah, talk to Zedekiah. So this is Jeremiah talking to his king. And thou shalt not escape out of his hand, but thou shalt surely be taken and delivered into his hand, and thine eyes shall behold the eyes of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with thee mouth to mouth, and thou shalt go to Babylon. Now, there's an overtone here that you might miss. One of the things that Zedekiah is going to face, have to face, is to be face to face with the king of Babylon. And the overtone here is that's not too neat a thing. I mean, not only is he going to be taken, he's going to be confronted with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, eyeball to eyeball, navel to navel, face to face. And um, that's what this gives us a subtle insight into is how much Nebuchadnezzar was feared. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, probably one of the most absolute despots that's ever ruled on the planet Earth. We get glimpses of that here and there in the book of Daniel particularly, when uh, he thought someone didn't perform quite up to snuff, threw him in a, you know, into a fiery furnace. Uh, when someone, when, when, when his advisors weren't quick to give him the answer he wanted, he was going to tear them limb from limb and make their houses a dunghill. He didn't mess around. He was, you know, no committees there. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar did his analysis and decided the optimum size of a committee was seven-tenths of a member. 
And uh, so he's a tough guy. And it's interesting here, even we find that even hinted at behind the thing here where the Lord is telling Zedekiah, you're not, you're not going to escape, but you're going to have to face him eyeball to eyeball. And, and, and that's uh, uh, kind of interesting. Um, it says, uh, thou shalt behold the eyes of the king of Babylon. Uh, uh, that's kind of interesting. You, you might just pause here for, put your finger here and turn to Ezekiel 12. I think I ca called this to your attention before, but it's a good place to, to remind you about it. Um, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. Ezekiel is writing, now Ezekiel's in captivity from the uh, first or second siege. I think it's the first siege, but I, I've forgotten. In any case, Ezekiel is a captive in Babylon. He's also writing. But he has a prophecy in Ezekiel 12, verse 13. He says, my net, God says to Ezekiel, my net will I also spread upon him, speaking of Zedekiah. And he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. And um, you're probably wondering what that's all about. You might turn to Jeremiah 52. We'll peek ahead at Jeremiah, chapter 52, the last chapter in the book of Jeremiah. Pick it up about verse 10, which uh, details chronologically or in narrative form what happens when Zedekiah is finally apprehended by the king of Babylon. It says, verse 10, the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Okay. Also, all the princes of Judah in Riblah. Verse 11, then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah. And the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. So that was Zedekiah's destiny. A natural death, in effect, but in prison, blinded, uh, having the last scene, last conscious vision was of the Babylonians slaughtering his sons before they put out his eyes. Zedekiah did, uh, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar played rough. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.